Welcome back to the Electrify podcast, brought to you by the creators of Electrify Expo, North America's largest EV festival coming to a major city near you. Welcome back to another episode of the Electrify News podcast. I'm Joe Boris, and I've hijacked this introduction from my good friend, Matt Teske. Uh, how you doing, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> We're, that's official. That just happened. Now. Like, no, but I'm- now you see when the other person does the intro, it's hard to like keep it together. It's it is kind of hard, right? Like, because yeah. it's like, well, number one is like, you know, we we always film these, but you know, it's the the reaction of like we're always talking about something right before we start, and usually it's something funny. So it's, yeah, it usually is something funny, and uh, <laughs> in this case, it's not funny because uh, how, you tell us, Matt, how's the weather over there on the west coast? Oh well, uh, yeah. Back in the day, they're like you could fry an egg out on the sidewalk, and <laughs> like now it's like the egg just returned to dust. <laughs> You know, the egg, the egg fries in your hand while you're walking it out to the sidewalk. Seriously, yeah. Like inside, there's a chicken like that immediately just like incubates and goes, no, I'm no, 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 no. Uh, See how yeah. long it takes the chicken to to lay an egg. You go check on the chicken; it's like already roasted. <laughs> like yeah, it's like this it's a full Costco rotisserie chicken right there. This turned out poorly. Uh, so no, what yeah. you're saying is it's unseasonably warm. Uh, you could say it that way. Um, yeah, one of the yeah one of the weather towers in Yosemite at about twenty seven hundred feet uh, yesterday uh, detected a high temperature of one hundred and nineteen degrees. At, so, at what? At what altitude? Twenty seven hundred feet. So, Whoa. and that was so on the way up to Yosemite, essentially, right? But um, I think it was El Portal, California, where that weather station was that detected that. Um, and so we're talking, you know, that's six degrees off of Death Valley, uh, which just reached the maximum high your record temperature for the month of September ever recorded worldwide uh, the other day. So what we're seeing in California is the evidence of, again, you burn fossil fuels long enough. And then and when the scientists say we should probably stop and we keep doing it. All of a sudden, well, it it impacts the climate. And then when the climate is impacted, that impacts weather. And when the weather is impacted, it could be various extremes. It could be, you know, heavy precipitation from storms. It could be extreme heat. It could be drought. It could be extreme winter experiences, right? So, um, yeah, the California, what happened in California yesterday, I mean, there was not a single town recorded in California uh, based on the National Weather Service yesterday that did not have a temperature of 100 degrees or higher is what what I last read. And some of these temperatures, again, we're soaring up to, you know, near a hundred and you know, 15 and 20 near places like Sacramento, which is just, that's unbelievable. It's, it's unlivable, you know? And yeah, well, it's literally <laughs> unlivable, right? Cause I mean, it, it, I think it was, you were the one talking to me about it uh, like a week ago, the wet light bulb analogy, right? Where you get to a point where it's so hot that like your body cannot perspire quickly enough to dissipate that heat. And you yeah. basically just die. It, I mean, they're already seeing you know instances of this in the Middle East and you know and you know Pakistan and and India yeah. and places like that. So, it, yeah, what we're seeing, what happened in California, is is just an example of you know one more example of the extremes we've been seeing from localized weather based on what's happened with the climate. And again, a big part of what we're talking about with you know electrifying transportation and electrifying everything is that you know there are options for how we manage you know creating and using energy that are more sustainable through renewables. And by focusing on electricity, because we can't just burn our way through energy to, you know, to a better tomorrow. Like we've we've proven oh, that's not going to work. A hundred percent. But I think, you know, what also bears repeating is that there is currently right now a tremendous amount of energy being pulled or requested 
from the grid that is out there, you know, yeah. and to power air conditioners and, and frankly, to keep hospitals running and keep food edible and things like that. Yeah. Cause you would have tremendous spoilage and, you know, even higher food costs than you would have before. And, you know, we can talk about renewable energy resources, but I think in the shorter term, it does make sense to start talking about ways that we can support the grid and the infrastructure that's already there. And yeah. it kind of comes at the same time as, you know, a lot of critics of EVs are starting to look at the grid and the failures of the grid today and say, you know, well, what's going to happen? What would happen if this was happening right now and everybody had their EV plugged in? And sure. I think the fear you know, if you don't really understand how energy grids work, and which I think is like 99.9% of all people, and certainly <laughs> included me before I started doing this kind of job, right? Yeah. Before you know how electrical grids work, I think that's a, it seems like a very valid concern. But once you start to figure it out, you go, man, wouldn't it be great if there were 3 million EV, you know, electric vehicle batteries plugged into the wall right now that could put power back into the grid? So that mm -hmm. these smart grid technologies could divert it to where it's needed and keep everybody cool and keep everybody safe. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, ultimately, that's what we're talking about. If it's 150 degrees, you know, in the well, middle of the desert. Not 50. Yeah. No, no, no. But, but hear me out. If it's 115 degrees in the middle of the Sahara Desert, it's not good, but we can live with that as human beings. If it's 115 degrees in Santa Monica, right. there's a lot of people that are going to drop dead. And that's not cute. Well, I mean, we're we're talking about shifts in climate that are you know regional and localized. I mean, there's a reason why the Sahara Desert became the Sahara Desert. There's a reason why it's great to grow to grow grapes in France for wine. Uh, same thing for up here in Oregon is because the climate is temperate for those things, you know. And when we're seeing these massive shifts that we're seeing, you know, temperatures that should be in Death Valley or should be in deserts in you know in you know the breadbasket of California where agriculture happens, that's not a good sign, right? So to your point about the electrical grid and how and the balancing of that, yeah, electric vehicles can play a vital role in that over time from a view, you know, for vehicle to grid technology. And when we say vehicle to grid, what are we saying? We're saying that the energy stored in the battery pack of your electric car, let's say you have, you know, 70% of your range left and it's a, and all of a sudden there's a huge, massive heat spike and the electrical grid is trying to power everybody's AC units. Arguably over time, electric vehicles that have these large batteries could stand as a way to backstop energy usage on the grid if they're plugged in. You could then see that energy from those batteries support the grid. Now, the hard part is the value proposition to consumers and you know, drivers around, why would you let the grid use energy from the car that you have? And it, it's for the greater good, right? I mean, that's, that's one of those things where it's like, how do you convince people to do that? I think that the vehicle to grid aspect from cars is going to be, it should be on the table. I think people that want to sign up for that should, should and should be allowed to. But we need to make it very clear about how it works and how they gain from that, either financially or comfort from you know the AC staying on. Um, but also just batteries in general and solar power in general. That's something where we really need to have um, a better way to communicate that to people for the benefits of those. That's what I was going to bring up. Was you know you've got the the full kind of Tesla home ecosystem. You've got the solar panels on the roof. You've got mm -hmm. the Tesla Powerwall battery that acts as a backup for your own home, mm -hmm. and you've got the electric car. Now, what I'm looking at is you know we hear about net metering, where net metering effectively allows people who have solar power and batteries and things like that when they are producing electricity that the home isn't using. Let's say the middle of the day, everybody's at work. It's, you know, you've got your AC set to 78 degrees, it's 85 outside, 
you're producing all this electricity that you can then effectively send that electricity back to the utility company and mm-hmm. receive monetary compensation in the form of credit on your next bill or, or a negative bill, basically. Um, and that does happen in several states where that kind of net metering legislation is allowed. And I hate to say this about my fellow Americans. So like, <laughs> let's, let's, where, let's just, where's this going? <laughs> my fellow Americans, good people that they are honest, hardworking people that they are tend not to make purchases based on the greater good. Oh, that's, that's a very fair thing to say. We've, I don't think a lot of people would argue with that. Right. No, I don't think so. Well, we've created a culture around independence and, you know, quote, freedom, freedom from what? Freedom from responsibility, freedom from I don't have to worry about you. I got to worry about me. You know, we've we've cultivated that here in the U.S. based on a variety of things, but mainly around products and services we buy. So it's yeah, it's not normal that you see people saying, I'm going to buy this because it's going to benefit my town or my fellow uh, fellow community, fellow people in my community. So, yeah, that's a that's a tough one. Um, I think but to, to that extent, I think that's where. The vehicle to grid option for you can take energy from my battery pack in my car and help support the grid. I think some people will sign up for that. Let's be fair. There's plenty of people that would say, I'd like to do that. That's true. The technology then has to exist for how the car communicates to your your meter and the grid, et cetera. Like that has to be designed and, and you know and figured out. And automakers are working with utilities on that. But I think there's the other option for people such as myself and others who've already invested into home solar and home batteries, where it's not that you have to have that be pulled from your vehicle. You could just have batteries at your home that are being charged by solar all day. Exactly right. Yeah. You might not. And and so this, this brings up another really good point. You could put solar in your house, put battery, you know, put a battery system in your garage to act as a backup in case there's like a storm or a fire or whatever else, for whatever reason, the power goes out and, and contribute back to the grid you don't even need an electric car for that. That could be nope. just a choice that you've made to support the grid. And, and, you know, if you have net metering, save yourself a little bit of money in the process. So well, I think there's a lot yeah. of good to be had there. And if we're looking at it in terms of electrify everything, right. Mm-hmm. Rather than just electrify your car, you might, you might say like, Hey, you know, I might do a, a plug-in hybrid vehicle as my lily pad to the next thing, but still go for the solar thing. And that I think would be a tremendous benefit for the grid. And I think, you know, it's like everything else, right? Once you have batteries in the equation to back up your power supply, you're going to have a much more stable, dependable, reliable power supply, whether that's, you know, a computer on a battery backup or whether that's your entire town on a battery backup. Yeah. Well, and, uh, and how you just said that is the, you know, what are you backing up and what are, what are you, Basically, how are we making it so the grid isn't as stressed is the point, right? right. We're having a much higher demand and energy needs and electricity needs because of things like heat, needing AC, right? So a good example is is our system that we have at our house. 30% of our energy this year has been purely from solar. Another 40% or more of our energy has been from the batteries that we've used at night for backup. So we've only really been using the grid at our home for about 30% of our energy and electrical needs. That's a Big difference. Now, even now, take into consideration that's because we've been using the stored energy from the sun in our batteries at night. And so we've had this very nice combination. But even at a bare minimum, if we had homes with solar panels on them, not even with home batteries, you could. And again, if you go to places like, you know, Southern California or Arizona or California in general, the sun shines a lot there. If you can reduce the need of stressing the grid by 
30% or more, frankly, that is, that makes, and you put that on every single home. That's a huge difference. That is a massive change in how much we're putting stress and need on the grid. And then once you add batteries into that equation, it's, it's incredible how much we could then, this is where I think the, the phrase of energy ownership is going to become very, very real for people in the next, in the coming years is they're going to realize they can take time to invest into either an electric car or solar home batteries, you name it, and have these options at their disposal. So then, yeah, when, when all of a sudden a major heat wave hits, they can say, my AC is going to stay up and running and I'm not stressing the grid any further because I'm using my panels and my batteries combined. And that's a huge, huge, huge benefit to the grid and to then therefore everyone, because we won't have the same emergencies. Exactly right. So that brings me, and you thought this was going nowhere, that brings me (laughs) to the Inflation Reduction Act, which has been one of our favorite topics in the last couple of weeks because it has such a huge impact on the automotive and transportation industry. But as we talk about this electrification of everything, it's worth pointing out that there is now a 30% tax credit on solar systems for your home. There's a third or business as well, home or business. There's a 30% tax credit on energy storage technologies, which is that home battery. Yep. There's, um, you know, again, up to $7,500 tax credit on electric vehicles, a 30% tax credit on EV chargers in the home. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and again, up to $840 on electric stoves, cooktop ranges, things like that. So, like, there is an incentive there for people to do that. And if your home requires upgrades to be able to use those technologies properly, you know, like let's say you live in some 1896 ridiculous historic home in the middle of, uh, you know, an Illinois suburb that you can't (laughs) do anything to, Uh uh, you can get a $4,000 rebate on those electrical uh, upgrades. uh, Mm. You know, assuming the village will let you do anything to the house that could possibly benefit society. (laughs) <laughs> well, the other thing that's also cool. You listening to this one? Uh, I was, was going to say that yeah, so, there's you know city planners in Chicago going. Uh, what did you just say? It's like yeah, hear me out. Yeah, he um, knows. No, but I think the other thing that, that's really cool, aside from the you know the, the personal uh, benefits from the Inflation Reduction Act for everything you know to electrify, is there's also already been announcements by companies that are in, increasing their production of solar panels domestically, batteries domestically, and so and that's because the benefits they're going to see from doing that production here in North America. So. The criticisms for the the short term elements related to like you know EV rebates etc. I mean those were valid, but if we start to see fruit you know from the you know from you know from the labor and efforts from these other things that incentivize people to do these you know changes about production domestically and and increasing you know access to solar panels and batteries that's a big deal. So we're is a huge we need a, yeah we need a moonshot when it comes to energy. This wasn't a moonshot. But it put us in orbit, and I think that's that that's a that's a good place to start. Oh man, you picked a bad day not to wear your NASA shirt with that comment. That was so uh, I've got so many NASA shirts too. I know that would have been great. So um, we're talking about some of the companies that are building up, you know, um, the battery production and the mineral mining production. You know, we talk about Snow Lake Lithium all the time here. We're good friends with those guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, Tony, Toyota. I was going to say Tornado. Was <laughs> Where was that going? Tornado. Tornado. <laughs> Alex, you're going to have to edit that one out, buddy. Oh no, we're keeping that one. We're keeping it. All right. Yeah. So Tornado has invested <laughs> 5.3 billion dollars oh into uh, their battery and EV production capacity in the United States, specifically. In South Carolina, at the same time, uh, Bosch is putting another like $200 million into a battery and hydrogen cell manufacturing facility that they have there already, 
So you're starting to see these really big companies putting millions and millions and millions of dollars uh, and literally billions of dollars in the case of GM at the Orion factory into Mm -hmm. manufacturing local manufacturing of these EV components and batteries. So like this just seems wild to me because I can't remember and maybe I'm just too young, but I can't remember the last time I read about massive investments like this into North American manufacturing, like my whole life since the nineties and NAFTA and free trade, everything, it's always been about getting the manufacturing overseas. And like, even in shark tank, like you used to watch that show shark tank. If you've ever seen it in the early seasons, they were always talking about, you know, you're building this in Kansas. You don't build this in Kansas. You need to build Build this in China or China. Yeah. yeah, And then once you've made your money, if you want to have a little side project and employ some people locally, you do that. But now you're starting to hear about, oh, yeah, it's made in America. That's very important. You got to keep doing that. Oh, it's going to be, it's vital. I mean, it's vital. Yeah. All this revolve, everything about electrification, whether we're talking cars or homes or everything, it all revolves around energy production and how you, how you produce the energy, how you store the energy and how you use the energy. And I just had, did you see the light bulb go on over my head? It was a sweaty one, but I saw it was a sweaty one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, but no, you just said the same, you just said like such a brilliant thing and I don't want to gloss over it of, you know, all of this, whether it's the electrification of the car, whether it's the electrification of the bicycle, it all comes back to where do we get our energy? How do we get our energy? What form does the energy take? Because ultimately fuel, when you talk about a fuel, whether it's butane or kerosene or gasoline, you're talking about it in terms of BTUs. You're talking about it in terms mm-hmm. of energy, which is what you have been talking about to me for years. And like, I, I kind of just got it, which is a little bit <laughs> probably bad, you know, for me. But like it, this idea of owning your own energy, it's not yeah. just about owning the fuel that goes into your car. It's about owning the energy that powers your home and owning your life. the energy that powers your life. I mean, yeah. that's like, that's huge, right? It's well, it, we've we've as a society, whether we're talking the United States or beyond, we've been extremely spoiled with cheap and easy to access energy sources, such as I mean, fossil fuels, oil and gas, that have been used for a century now or more, that have created our modern society. Now we're used to those conveniences, and frankly, the concept of you know, I mean, how you use those energy sources, you just burn them. I mean, that is that is as cro magnet as you can get. You bring it back to the cave, you burn it. What do you get? You get heat. You can cook. You can be comfortable. All those things. That's basically what we still do. So the idea of transitioning to a new way of understanding energy and how it's, again, produced, stored, used, that is brand new to people because electricity, people look at it and they don't equate electricity to gasoline or oil or coal. They just go, the lights are on. But when people do a little bit of digging, they say, oh, well, yeah, you want to charge that electric car. That's a lot of coal. That's a lot of whatever. But the reality and the beauty of it is you can create electricity through a vast amount of options. And that's what we're investing into now with the Inflation Reduction Act and, and what we're going to hope to see a lot of traction on. EVs are right in the thick of that conversation. Um, but again, back to that, you know, what happened in California recently. This is an example of a grid that is powered still in many ways by fossil fuels that could be backstopped by renewables. But we just haven't had the leadership on the transition to that fast enough. But I have a sinking suspicion that's going to change a lot in the next in the coming years. So, 
Yeah. I mean, you know, I had a, a very good friend of mine that I've talked to uh, several times. Actually, we talked to him at, at uh, Industry Day in, in Long Beach, and he made the comment that in India, they're starting to really push hard for renewables because mm-hmm. they're feeling a lot of pain there. And yeah. he says in America, that push isn't there because we haven't felt enough pain. But uh, that was last year. And I think we're feeling the pain already. Oh, I, I mean, really, just look at what's happened around the country in this summer. I mean, you. Re- I mean, just yeah. look at what's happened. Is you have massive floods in Kentucky that have wiped out homes, and and you know you have flooding in Rhode Island that happened a day or two ago. That basically, like, oh, that was wild. Yeah, you know, and this is the thing is is as we're talking about a changing climate, we're talking about what happens when the climate warms. What happens is well, you then for every degree of one degree of Celsius that we see change in the atmosphere, seven percent more moisture is stored in the atmosphere. That doesn't sound like a lot, but then all of a sudden you start seeing storms that come along and dump massive amounts of precipitation and they don't move fat through fast. They kind of stop and hang out. So you have this wicked combination of heat domes and heat waves combined with massive you know, levels of precipitation in the atmosphere that dump major amounts of rainfall in one area. And we've seen that throughout the entire country, whether it's been the heat end of the spectrum or the precipitation of the spectrum. And it's no one's going to hide from that. And so as people begin to, like you said, America hasn't felt the pain. Well, we're feeling the pain. And you could start looking at everything from, uh, you know, Superstorm Sandy, Sandy rather in New York, which was years ago now, but it was kind of a, a telling moment. And then you look at what happened in Texas with Harvey. Same thing. We had submerged interstates. We had that now in Kentucky. We've had that now. The flooding in Georgia has closed schools in the last two days because they can't get enough energy to the schools to produce the air conditioning they need to keep people in schools. Again, the the signs are all there. And all this relates back to what's happened with our energy use in the last century. And the most frustrating thing about that is like, we know, right? Like we know looking at this, that if the school districts in Georgia had 200 electric school buses with, you know, 200 kilowatt hour batteries, Mm -hmm. they could be powering the schools right now. Well, I mean, it's a combination of that and solar and everything else. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. It's not one silver bullet, but like. You know, all of the criticism leveled against EVs and against electrification that comes from that place of like, well, we don't have enough coal to power the grid. Like all of that, like we're going to destabilize the grid. We need the grid security. Like it's just so wrong. It's so backwards. And, you know, I don't I don't think we need to get into this. Like, I obviously, you know, we're here. We've got a platform. We need to speak truth to power and say, like you know, these things are happening. This climate change is here. We are dealing with the ramifications of that right now. A hundred percent of that is true. But even without that, you know, stuff happens. Like Mm -hmm. everything could be sustainable and great. And, you know, you get a random freak blizzard, like the kind that used to get 150 years ago before any of this was a major problem that it is today. You would Mm -hmm. still get some unpredictable weather or some hurricane that came out of nowhere. Right. Sure. And you would still need that grid resilience. You would still benefit from, you know, that electrification. I, I always get a kick out of it. There's it, it comes up on my Facebook memory every couple of months, uh, I guess every once a year. Right. And it's this, uh, <laughs> right. Cause that's how that once works. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a cartoon and um, you know, it's like this board meeting and they're talking about sustainability and whether or not, you know, the, the, you can see like the papers around them and it's like global warming hoax question mark. Mm-hmm. And the guy goes, wait a minute, guys, like, what if we create a better, more sustainable world for nothing? <laughs> yeah. yeah <exactly. laughs> like, 
And the point is like, even if it's all nonsense, like this is still a better place to live. It's a cleaner place to be. Well, yeah, let, let's, let's be fair. I mean, a lot of what's happened in the last, you know, in the recent decades, especially like in our lifetimes, you know, and, and prior, I mean, at the end of the day, a lot of this is profit motive, you know, and. Oh, sure. You know, I mean, even we, we discuss very often in the EV industry about, you know, like where's, where's the profitability around reselling electricity to, as a fuel you know, at fast chargers. And frankly, right, you know, in that conversation, it's still tough. It's not exactly a high, it's not exactly a profit center yet. And it may never be, or I mean, maybe, but not soon. I mean, again, it's, it's just something we're at the inception point and in a very hyper growth phase right now. So to that end, where's the profit? Well, there's still, again, look at the profits made by fossil fuel companies in the last quarter. And the big, you know, first quarter oh, yeah. this year. It's disgusting. It's, disgusting. it's incredible. And so you look at that and you go, okay. And again, I've got friends that live in the UK and you look at what's happening with their energy costs and what's happening is, yeah, those extreme profits are being passed on to people that live in homes in the UK. They're now getting just slammed with energy costs. And the argument is, oh, it's because we cut off, you know, fossil fuels resources from Russia. And my response to that is, and at the end of the day, you still have other options. This it's yeah. you have to invest into them. Either you stick with what's easy and what you've known forever, which yes has been fossil fuels, or you make the investment to make the change. Which I think the you know the Inflation Reduction Act is what the United States is hanging its hat on to start that conversation and move in that direction. So again, but yeah. it's, it's it's complex. It's very complex. But you know, and, and that's kind of what makes events like the elect you know to come full circle, right? That's what makes events like the Electrify Expo so interesting and so engaging right because there is this sense that is starting to dawn on people of like this is real and i need to look at what's out there and this is the change that is coming right regardless of what you think those motivations are i think almost everybody would now say yeah we're going to be driving electrified or electric vehicles in the next 10 years that's what's going to happen I mean, I mean, I need most everybody. It's just people that, you know, there's there's people accepting it and going for it. People with means and resources, are, I think, are making the move because they see a cachet to it. But they also, if they're thinking about money, they're thinking, hey, I can save money on gas by buying this $70,000 car. Sure, why not? I, sure, I if if that it. makes you feel better, great. <laughs> I was gonna, Yeah, but it's like I was going to buy a $70,000 car anyway. So I think in that sense, that's why it's, it's adding up for people that are in positions to make the change. Um, but you know, the trajectory of how fast it's going to go will be directly dictated by what happens in the, you know, the battery industry and the resources needed to, cause we yeah. can produce cars all day. I mean, like the physical structure of the car is one thing, the batteries that will run these cars and also be backstop power options for homes. You know, that's something that again is going to be ramping up. So but I think the more people that experience it and they see that like going electric is not a sacrifice, it's not a compromise, it's yeah. an upgrade to the way they live. I think that's going to be the real motivator, right? I, well, in the, in the exposure they get, uh, those, you know, the public gets to the vehicles and other information at like an Electrify Expo, that's why the expo exists is yeah. and why our podcast exists is to have these conversations, right? So again, hopefully what people gain from listening to, you know, us have these chats is that, it's hey, I didn't think about that before. I didn't know that before, right? Yeah. Um, but I thought know. our podcast existed because men in the, this society don't access deep feelings outside of the podcast environment. Well, that's I mean that's the top reason, but I mean, we, 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 <laughs> have like fringe, the, we have some fringe benefits on us. <laughs> like we don't actually access our emotions in daily life unless you have a podcast. Unless you have a podcast, <laughs> then you can get, you know, get nice and teared up, you know. It's it's like watching, you know, Jerry Maguire when he's like, "I'm not going to cry." 
I'm not going to cry. <laughs> he was there for me. He always believed. Oh, Jerry, man. My agent. Yeah. That's great when he's like hugging him and the guy the guy looks at his agent and goes, why don't we have that? And he tries to hug he him. He tries to hug him like and he's just like, no, it's, no. <laughs> so my you ambassador of Quan. If you haven't seen Jerry Maguire, you should go see it. No, if you haven't seen Jerry Maguire, you should first see a Jeff Goldblum film and then watch Jerry Maguire. Well, I, little known fact, Jeff Goldblum actually plays Cuba Gooding Jr. in that movie. You see that that right there. Um, I don't know how many people that offended just there, but it's. I mean, as a Jeff Goldblum fan, I'm at least Junior fan, I'm offended. Yeah, at least those two people are offended. Uh, I thought I thought Cuba good. Cuba got an Oscar for that man. Come on, I know he was so good. I thought I really thought he he should have been James Bond and not Daniel Craig. Cuba he would have been so. He would have been the best James Bond. Late nineties, early two thousands. Oh yeah, he could have pulled it off. I mean, oh yeah, he's got personality to spare. He would have been great. Like now, and he's a little off the rails, but uh, you know, it's been thirty years. Who isn't? Uh, I was gonna, I was gonna say we got to give everybody, you know, a little bit of slack <laughs> the last two and a half years, right? There's been a lot of like existential dread in the last six well, months. Speaking of existential dread, uh, one of the things we were gonna hit on, and we talked about briefly before we jumped on the call, was. Uh, you know, basically being told like you either jump on board with the EVs or you're out. Oh, the Buick thing. Yeah. That's so that's like <sighs> what a weird world. Because like 20 years ago, the dealers absolutely ran the manufacturers around by the nose, right? Like mm-hmm. it's like the mom comes into the schoolyard and grabs them by the ear and says, Come over here. This is what you're gonna build. <laughs> well, you yeah, know, like, yeah, it's a, a cute word. concept car, but you're gonna build me fifteen hundred more pickup trucks. Yeah, you know. And that's kind of been what's happening. And what happened recently, and the first one was about two years ago when General Motors came in and said, look, Cadillac, if you're going to be selling these electric vehicles of the future, we're going to require you to invest in in your store. We're going to require you to invest in, you know, charging stations for the vehicles, in training for your technicians. And if you don't want to do it, then uh, you know we'll give you a check and you can go home. Yeah. And home. what really blew everyone's mind, Jack Baruth, uh, Jack, who I've often referred to as the great Jack Baruth, <laughs> uh, he wrote a tremendous article about this in Haggerty. Um, for those of you looking at this, it was avoidable contact number 86 that talked about how owning a dealership in the United States over the last 30 or 40 years has effectively been a license to print money. They have got this down to a science where like, it's almost impossible to lose money in a dealership because they've got consultants, they've got advertising, they've got all these different plans and they have the science of buying and selling vehicles down so perfectly that like they will make money. And the fact that these GM dealers, these Cadillac dealers were taking the payout, which effectively amounted to like one year or a year and a half of, of money making and just said, you know what? Shut it down. We don't care. Bye bye. And yeah. you know that is huge. And for those communities where those dealerships are shutting down, they're losing 30, 40, 50 jobs at a, yep. at a shot. There, that's a real big change. And GM, you know, good for them. They're kind of sticking to it because they've issued almost a similar ultimatum to the Buick GMC dealers right now because yep. they're saying, look. We're going full electric. If you want to continue selling Buicks and GMCs, you have to be on board with that. And if you're not on board, you know, if you're if you're so poor of spirit that you want to stay in the background and not do it, 
you know, we'll give you some money to take your ball and go home and we'll keep this thing running. <laughs> well, I think what it speaks to is, is culturally too, like where, the dealers from Cadillac side, you know, a few years ago, they took that buyout. Where were they in the life cycle of that showroom? Was it, a, was it in the possibility it was going to transition to like, you know, a son or a grandson or a granddaughter that could run the show from, you know, from that point moving forward, were they just like, we don't want to hassle with this. We don't believe in the transition. I mean, what was the reasoning, right? Um, I think that it'll be interesting to see how many of the GMC Buick dealers decide to say similar, like we're done. But in reality, I mean, there's already GMC already has the Hummer EV out. You've got both, you know, the, the, the truck version that's here, the SUV version that's coming. You've got, you know, Buick has electrification plans that are in the pipeline already. So maybe they're more motivated to say we're going to stick with it. Plus GMC trucks are still very successful as well. So I don't necessarily see them deciding to fold up shop because they still have a good profit center there right now. Again, it gets back to the profit motive. So you want to, you want to put the tin hat, the tin hat back on. Oh, here we go. All right. Oh, I got to fold mine. You got to fold yours. Okay. Maybe. Let me know when it's, let it's me know when it's ready. Of, it's in the shape of a boat. Okay. <laughs> That's very good. I no, bet no. it could float. Anyway. What do you think are are the possibility that GM wants to buy up these dealerships to start effectively sneaking in where they can direct to consumer sales? Well, I mean, I mean, could that be part of the, the strategy? It wouldn't surprise me. Um, I think that the, 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 every time this conversation comes up, I just think about the fact that the dealers have been the front lines for a long time. They have a lot of power in every single state and nationally. They're not just going to roll over on that one. Um but also the dealers, you know, for all intents and purposes, no one was really at the table from the auto, automotive side of things for, for the Inflation Reduction Act decisions that came through. So there's a lot of things that they had to respond to there. So I, um, I don't know if that's, I mean, the OEMs, I think, see a path forward for doing direct. I think they want to control the brand a little bit better. Um, they don't like the negative, you know, feedback they get from, you know, the sales experience for their products um, when, those, when those moments do happen. So it wouldn't surprise me if there's some strategy in that, but I, I guess it's not clear to me exactly what the strategy is. So, yeah, there's gotta be something there, but um, I guess we'll save that for another time. So if that's another big conversation, another big conversation, but uh, coming up next month, we are going to be in Miami for the electrify expo. That's going to be a good show because that's going to be, we're going to have, you know, basically air and water demos. Agua, so, agua demos. That's going to be really cool. If you want to check out a flight board, check out the C-Bob. Hopefully uh, we're trying to get Xshore to bring the new Xshore one electric tender out there, which I'll be really excited to uh, try to sync. Cause that seems to be what I do with boats, but uh, it, <laughs> it's going to be very nice. exciting. That's going to be a good show. That'll be October, I believe eighth and ninth uh, at regatta park, which is right there by Bayside, Miami. It's going to be a fun experience. And um you know, I think we'll call that one a wrap. This has definitely been our most depressing episode of Electrify News. Oh, no, I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily call it depressing as much as I would call it just, you know, the, this is the news. This you, is know? The, you know what? That's fair. This is Electrify News, and this is what's happening right now. Yeah, I was going to say, we're not here to coddle. We're here to talk about realities, and, and there's a lot happening in space. And some of it's, you know, again, complex, and some of it's difficult conversation. But there's a lot of opportunity in this space too to to go in a direction where there's jobs, there's new product, and there's a you know arguably an opportunity for people to have a better home and home experience and mode of transportation that again they can own that energy. So more to come That's on right. that. Thanks for listening to the Electrify Podcast, brought to you by the creators of Electrify Expo. Be sure to catch full video episodes on YouTube at Electrify TV and follow along on social media for daily clips and more.